welcome. We are thankful to uh, have you join us as we look to our good God, as we look to grow in his grace and truth and mature in faith. Uh, what uh, a privilege it is to, to have his written word and to do this together. Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians. We continue our sermon series currently in chapter 2. Today I will be preaching verse 20. To give us some context for our time in God's Word this morning, in verse 20, I want to read verse 19 through 22. Look at it with me. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time that we get to study your word, that we get to grow in your truths, that the Holy Spirit gets to convict and to bring to memory and bring to clarity, Lord, your truths, your revelation, the ways in which you want to shape our lives and grow us, convict us of sin and mature us in faith. And so we come together this morning Continually through these unique means and time that we're in, holding fast to the Word of God, trusting in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, walking by faith and not by sight. Lord, speak clarity to us. Uh, make truth abound and well us up with worship and with the lives devoted to you. Lord, I, I pray for each individual, man and woman, I pray for our marriages. I pray for our children, Lord God, young and old. I, I pray for families, extended family, friends, uh, blood-bought family that might be tuning in from around the country or around the world. Lord, do your work in our lives as a result of our time in your word today. We love you, and we pray these things because of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 20, we see wonderful truths and clarities that I'm so encouraged to get to preach today. Look at the verse with me again. Paul says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. First, who are the apostles and prophets? Well, in Ephesians 1.1, in the opening of this letter, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. An apostle is one who is sent. Apostles are sent with a message. They are messengers. Speaking of the sent ones, Jesus gives this important clarity in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 16. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And herein lies a, a very critical aspect of the authority 
that the apostles have. The importance of this is that the potency of the messenger is determined by the authority of the one sending the messenger. In Paul's case, he is sent by Jesus himself. We know this because although he was not one of the original 12 disciples, Paul had received a direct commission from the Lord Jesus himself. In case you don't remember, there are a couple different ways the title apostle is used in Scripture. While the general meaning is sent one or messenger, and this applies to any kind of apostle, there is a specific group of apostles that Paul is a part of. And it's critically important we understand this. I'm speaking of those select individuals directly appointed and authorized by Christ Jesus to be his immediate representatives on earth. Those who would speak new and authoritative revelation from God, whereby they were appointed to be an infallible mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the perfection of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God moved through them, and in this authorized and moved to write the New Testament and launch the church of Jesus Christ by their leadership and discipleship of others. In this sense, we're, we're speaking of what we call the capital A Apostles. The twelve disciples, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul will later refer to this in chapter 4 of Ephesians. The Apostles are one of the specific offices by which Christ gave to launch and lead his church. Ephesians 4.11 says, God gave the Apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are roles, gifted roles, that God gave to the church. But what we must rightly understand is that the gifted role or office of Apostle, capital Apostle, was a temporary one, empowered and purposed by God for a specific season. To be clear, there are no more Apostles like the Twelve or like Paul today. What God did in and through them in the early church was very special and a very critical part of God's will and plan. This is the foundation laying that Paul's referring to. They are the foundation, as we will see in the uh, next emphasis of the sermon and even in next week. And we are the structure. Now, one of the most critical roles of foundation lane that the apostles were given to do is to write what God would ordain to be the New Testament. God's Word is clear to tell us that the holy canon of Scripture is closed. And the work of revealing Himself to mankind through this most special revelation is complete and sufficient. This is a primary reason why the capital A apostleship is no longer needed within the body of Christ today. Because we have a completed canon, God's holy written Word. See with me that the writing of the New Testament and therefore the completion of the holy canon of God's revealed and written word was a foundational work and is not an ongoing work. Now the other office Paul names here is the office of prophet. The kind of prophets Paul's referring to are those who helped apostles lay the foundation of the church. 
They are those called by God to speak the truths of God. They're appointed teachers to proclaim God's truth to the world under the divine direction of the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Canon is still being written in this day, the the testimony of all that Jesus had said and taught and the testimony of what God wanted to be revealed to the people in the day this is written was given through the prophets by the Holy Spirit. This is how the good news and the teachings are launched into the church and and the multiplication of the church as many are saved and multiplied and disciples are made. Again, see with me, this most foundational work that God did through the apostles and prophets for all that we now are as the church and are meant to be. What we are reminded of here, who the apostles and prophets are, is an important uh, clarity into the, that unique time uh, and, and work that God had called them to do. Let's consider now the foundation that they laid for us. Look at the verse again. Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There are three aspects to the foundation that's laid that I want to spend time diving into this morning. The first is is the forerunners. Scripture is going to often celebrate those that God chose to launch the church. These are the forerunners of our faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. They are the, the brothers and sisters in Christ that God ordained would be the first to announce Christ's installment of the new covenant. Jesus said to, to Peter in, in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. John will testify in Revelation when given a, a view of the new heavens and new earth, and specifically the holy city, whereby the apostles are named at the, at the wall's foundations. Revelation 21.14, the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. These are the ones that God ordained to be the forerunners of the church. They are the inspired and equipped leaders. God ordained to lay a foundation for what, It meant to to live for and obey and testify of Christ. They include the disciples whom Jesus trained and those who would be called by God to lead the early church into its worldwide existence. Before moving on, see with me the view of Jesus himself revealed in his high priestly prayer to the Father before being arrested and killed on the cross In it, he speaks of the foundational work of the apostles and how our very believing would come as a result of hearing their testimony. John 17, verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Praise God for those who have come before us, church. For God's work and the apostles and prophets who launched the church, the elders, the missionaries who committed to preaching God's word, to making disciples and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the unreached people groups as it moved among the nations. Church, we must always be grateful for those who have come before us, the forerunners. We stand on their backs and take the baton as now it is our time. This is always why it's so critical that we make disciples and train up the next generation so that they can carry on the Lord's work as long as He wills. So first, we see the foundation of our forerunners in faith. Second, I want us to see the second part of the foundation that we build on is the Holy Scriptures. Is this most foundational work that they did. Uh, a big part of this foundation that we stand upon, that we build on, is the testimony of the Gospel. The testimony of Christ's life and death and resurrection. One of the most foundational things the apostles did was the writing of God's instruction to the church. These gospels and letters would become the very New Testament that we have today. The Word of God is the authority we stand on in all things. It is our foundation. Our foundation, church, is not our tradition. It's not our current leadership's opinions or, or preferences. It's not the current trends of our culture. It is the infallible Word of God. The authority we stand on is the foundation of the Word of God. Look with me at the Gospel of John. Um, in Jesus' repetitive declaration we see um, to... Send the Holy Spirit to give the disciples, the apostles, the, the words of God, all truth and what God wanted to be known in the writing of the New Testament. John 14, 25-26, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still here with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then later in John 16, 13 through 15, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see Jesus here in these texts? And there's more I haven't read yet, but He's making it very clear the, the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all truth to bring to remembrance what has happened, what God wants to be known, and what is to come. Church, this is the work of the Holy Spirit to inspire the apostles in writing the New Testament. See with me how absolutely foundational this is. The truths of God, the testimony of the gospel, the instruction to the church would be given foundationally through the apostles. I don't think 
we can ever have a strong enough of an appreciation for the written Word of God. This is the Word of God. The source of all truth. And the message of life with God that we are utterly desperate for. Think about it this way. Who decides what is true and what is not? God does. Where can God's truth be found or known? His holy written word. And how do we know what is true and and what is not in a world of many opinions and experts and ideas and beliefs? We study, we hold fast to, we obey, and we teach God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Peter 1.21 No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book is unlike every other book ever written. Because it's the very Word of God. Consider this. God's Word is is not hidden in a cave in some distant mountaintop. No, it's in your hands. You're holding it. You have this holy book. These words are God's words to us. You know the old question and answer game of kids would play and and ask if you were stranded on an island you could have only one thing, one possession, what would it be? And if we understand what this is, there's no other answer than the Word of God. I'd want my Bible to study, to know, to meditate, to worship God Almighty. Nothing else no other item would come close to being as valuable, as important, as instrumental to my daily life, even in such a unique circumstance. But, but that's a kid's game. What about real life, everyday life? Hey, do, you, do you even know where your Bible is right now? Do you have it with you? Are you connected to it? Are you in it all the time? Do you often leave home without it? Do do you often skip packing it for a vacation or a trip because there's not enough room? Do you neglect really prioritizing getting time with God in His Word? Because you're just too busy. Or maybe worse, because you're really just not interested in it. 
maybe that's because we don't really grasp what it is and what it is for our lives when we're deep into it and surrender to it. Nothing should come close to what we ought to feel for the value of God's word in our lives. This is why the the psalmist cries in desperation, incline my ear to your testimonies. Psalm 119.36 He's asking this of God because as great as this is, there are just so many distractions and fleshly temptations that we must fight to, to take it with us, to be in it, to value it, to know it, to study it, but, but, but then to be inclined to lean in, to really come hungry. And we need God's help for this church. Look with me at the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 15. Paul says to Timothy, the end of this chapter, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to believe in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar A buttress of truth. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul wants to be with his brother in Christ. Just as many of us are experiencing that a lot right now. He wants to be with his church family. But in his absence, because he loves his church family, Because God has ordained him to do so. He sends a letter. Why? So that they would know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Are, Are you guilty of just buying time lately? Just getting through the day until we can meet again. You have the Word of God to study that you would ought to know how to behave in the household of God. That we would be a pillar, a buttress of truth to a watching world. Consider with me another famous passage of clarity in this topic is Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Brother, sister in Christ, what is your delight? What do you delight in? If 
people could spend a day with you, what would they see that makes you smile, that, that you're hungering for? If, if we scrolled through your, your Facebook feed the last few days or weeks, what, what, what would be the things that you're delighting in? If we're going to build our lives on the Word of God, we must have less of a grip of the other things of life schedule and busyness and the ways of the world, the counsel of the wicked, the way of the sinner, the seed of the scoffer. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Do you see one who's building their lives on the foundation of the Word of God? And then look at verse 3 to see the fruit of this. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Delight means it gets priority. You make room for it. You're excited for it. You don't just try to squeeze it in. You hunger after God. You want to hear from Him, His Word. You want Him to shape you and grow you. To delight in God's Word is to to get our roots deep into His truth. To replace the lies of the flesh and of the world with the truths of God. Putting it deep into the soil of our heart so that our roots are deep, grounded, secure in the truth of God that when your flesh and your circumstances are are tempted to move you to places of distrust, to places of, of fleshly priority, you're grounded, you're held, you're held on by the truths of God. That foundation's at work in your life. The storm rages and the wind blows. You remain. This is our foundation, church. This is how we're sure to not live according to our best ideas. Oh, I pray disciples' church is a people who delight in God's Word. We elders can't take us where we need to go as a church if we refuse to hold fast to God's Word and fill our lives up with it and let it shape us and change us and transform us. Our full and right submission to the authority of God's Word is so serious that Scriptures give warning for those who don't submit themselves to it. Proverbs 13, 13, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Are you guilty of reading plainly what God's word says is good and right? Deep down inside you despise it. No, Lord, Holy Spirit, work. To bring reverence, submission to your ways, to your commandments.
It is essential that we study, that we believe in, that we abide in and teach accurately the Word of God. The problem is our tendency in the flesh to submit to our rationale, the human mind, instead of the authority of the Almighty, Eternal God, His written Word. And as a result, we can begin to form views of who God is and how He acts or doesn't act based on our personal feelings or logic instead of the divine, perfectly written words that He gave us in Scripture. We need to take most seriously the words of God and submit to God's authority and conform to His image and not try to make Him conform to ours. Do you want God's Word to change you? It's one of the things I want to encourage you to do as you come to God's Word. is to put yourself on the altar and say, change me, transform me, mature me, take me to a place that I'm not at. How prideful is it in some ways, how lazy is it, how selfish is it to come to God's Word with this idea, I know it, I get it, I'm just here to pass by. No. We humble ourselves, constantly being transformed, refined, matured, sanctified by the Word of God. Ready, wanting to be broken out of sinful clings and habits, unto things and ways and mindsets that honor God. We're desperate for God's Word to lead us with all authority and to be our foundation. Here at Disciples Church, we have no agenda but to hold fast to the life-changing authority of God's Holy Word. We want it to shape us and mold us and convict us and take us forward. We don't want to be guilty of saying, but that's the way we've done it. I like it that way. No, no, no. God, take us to where we need to be. We're not afraid of our church getting smaller if it means we do not compromise God's word. We've got a lot of years behind us to prove that to be true, and I pray it only continues to be so. But but this must mean we're all in. We're in all the way. We can't afford to do this halfway. No matter what the cost, no matter what the opposition, we must remain steadfast and continue to build and keep our foundation in God's Word. With that, let's move on to the third and most important aspect of what the foundation that has been laid is. It's the forerunners who come before us, the work that God ordained for them to do, laying that foundation, and much of what that foundation is is the the writing, the, the, the finishing of the Word of God that we have now to study and mature in. But see with me 
the, the most critical aspect of the foundation is Christ Himself. After Paul states his being used by God to lay a foundation, as we read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says this important clarity in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation upon which all of God's elect are eternally a part of God's family. There is no redeemed people. There is no church. There is no eternal kingdom of God. Beloved, blood-bought family. Without Christ. Pastor John Gill said it well. Jesus Christ Himself cements and knits together Jews and Gentiles, Old and New Testament saints, saints above, saints below, saints on earth, in all ages and places, and of every denomination of which is the beauty and glory, as well as the strength of the building, which keeps all together. This is Paul's driving point in the second part of verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone and why is it so essential? A, a cornerstone, often also referred to as a keystone or a capstone, is the essential component of a sure foundation. Without it, whatever foundation is laid has no form. It has no strength to uphold it. To uphold what's going to be built upon it. Everything depends on the cornerstone. Everything is set in right motion by the cornerstone. It must be sound. And it must be in its right place. The work of the apostles and the prophets, hear me, is good for nothing without Christ. Jesus said as much. John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To build your faith, to build your life without Christ as your rock. Your cornerstone is to attempt to build something that will not sustain. Jesus emphasizes this in, in a beautiful teaching in Matthew 7, 24-27, right to the point. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Who is the rock? Jesus. To not have the rock is to have a foundation of sand. You must have the cornerstone. A life that is truly built on the rock is is one that hears the gospel and gives their lives to Christ. It is those who hear the instruction of the Lord and they obey it. They do not reason. They do not add or take away. They trust that God is perfect and holy and good. Their lives are marked by the fact that they have died to self and trusted their lives to Christ. For those saved in Jesus Christ, He is our rock. He is our foundation. Praise God for this. Christ alone is our cornerstone. Weak, made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord. Lord of all. Church family, truly slow with me this morning to to consider how how true this is for you. We, We can't just amen these Big, bold truths that we might know or, or even have grown to love. Is it true for you? Because it will be tested. The storms will rage and beat on your house of faith. Is your life built on Jesus alone? You might say, okay, so what does that mean? What does that really mean? It means if you find out later today or tomorrow that your house is being foreclosed and you must move out. It it, it means if you move out and the moving truck containing every earthly possession you have catches fire and burns to the ground. It it, it means your bank account and all your savings in retirement has been infiltrated and, and bled to nothing by an identity thief. There's no way of proving it wasn't you. It's gone. Zero. It means your spouse, your beloved soulmate is diagnosed with terminal cancer and their days are numbered. The children you thought were yours you find out are not. Your career plan is is utterly collapsed. Because you're accused falsely of tampering. You can no longer practice in the field you've studied for a lifetime to do. Tomorrow you wake up and you have nothing. Nothing. If 
everything you once cling to for hope, for love, for identity, security, purpose is gone. The storm has ravaged it. Will you stand on your wobbly legs firmly on the rock of Jesus Christ and sing to the King? And live and press on for His glory, for His fame, for His call in your life to endure suffering. And, and you do this because you belong to Him. You do it because you haven't added Him to your lot of all these other treasures you have, all these other practices and priorities. No, you belong to Him. You've put it all on Christ. Your life is His. Your ways are His. Your days are His. Your treasure is found in Him. Your identity, your purpose for your days is His. Beloved, hear me. Is Christ truly your foundation upon which you stand? If so, you've put your entire life and hope in Him alone. You haven't hedged your bets and given Him just a majority of the lot it's all His. And as I describe that, and you're, and you're deep down inside honestly going, that's not me. That's not where I'm at. And I love you enough to say, praise God for the awakening, the revelation, the conviction today through the teaching of His Word that you see that. Because therein lies the opportunity to confess that as sin and to turn from it, to make changes, to stop clinging to the things of the world that are like sand sifting through your fingers, the accolades of men that, they, that, they would, that, that would fall away once so bound up in what other people think and what you've earned and accomplished, that if you lost it all, if your, if your reputation was completely guttered, you have Christ. The treasures of this world will rust. They'll be stolen. Health of your body is drifting away as quick as the morning fog. Instead, trust in Jesus, who is your rock. Build your life on Jesus, who is everlasting, who will not abandon you, who will not lose one of us, who truly belong to Him. There is only one foundation that saves and secures you for eternity. 
It is the precious cornerstone promised by God Himself in the Old Testament and delivered by God in the New Testament. Listen to the promise of God in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. The foundation is laid in eternity in Zion. The, and, it's, and it's a foundation with a tested stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. It is Christ Himself. And whoever believes into Christ will not be in haste, meaning they will not be undone. They will, they will not be wasted. The, the prophecy of the Messiah being the cornerstone is given also in the psalm. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What is that talking about? It's talking about the all-time greatest rejection we've ever seen. Rejection of God the Son in the flesh. Worthy to be praised. We're introduced here in Psalm 118 the fact that many would reject the Messiah. But that would not prohibit Him from becoming the cornerstone of God's redeemed people. The, the builders we see in here and in many texts is a reference to the ecclesiastical builders, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the the Jewish leaders who directed the people essentially to build their lives on their traditions, the traditions of the elders, the, uh, their own legal righteousness. And they refused to receive Jesus as the Messiah, to believe into Him. Listen to the testimony of this taking place in, in Acts chapter 4, in the very workings of the birth of the early church. Verse 7 through 12, I read Acts 4. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By Him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone.
And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Who is the cornerstone? Jesus Christ. He is God the Son, the Messiah, the mighty Savior, the royal Redeemer, the risen Lord. There is no redemption, no salvation. There there is no new covenant. There is no eternal belonging to God's household. If there is not the cornerstone, if there is not Christ, the building is not Scripture is clear to say that you believe into Christ and therefore are built into His house, fixed in Him, who is the cornerstone. Or you reject Jesus as the Christ and do not trust Him with your life. Therefore you remain in your sin and are without salvation. Listen to verse 11 and 12 again. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. Listen to Jesus' very own words. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People often say that it's a very exclusive and narrow proclamation in compared to the many ways to, to heaven or to peace with God kind of thinking. I would say, yes, that's true. It is exclusive and narrow. That's Jesus' point. If you have issue with that, you don't have issue with with religion or with Christianity. You have issue with Jesus. God the Son. Jesus in love and in grace. Listen, listen to this. Listen to what you're missing if you don't get this. In love and grace, Jesus is proclaiming that not all those who are deserving of eternal wrath will get it. But that there is a way to eternal life that God in His grace has provided. But you don't have it on your terms. You have it on God's terms. And what are those terms? No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So on one hand, the gospel is wildly inclusive in that you need to not perform anything to merit or warrant your inclusion. It is by grace alone that you are saved. Don't miss this. This means there is hope for the worst of people and the most lost in sin and addicted 
to evil. There's hope for you. This is good news. At the same time, the gospel is extremely exclusive in that there is not many ways to God. The only way to be found, to be saved, to get where God is forever, is Jesus. There's only one cornerstone. And you either are reborn and build your life on Christ, or you reject Jesus and earn your eternal death in your sin. There is no other. The only way to God is Jesus. The only way to eternal life is Jesus. The question today is, have you trusted your life to Jesus? Have you built your life, put it all on Jesus? If not, if you haven't done that, and what you're hearing today is truly good news to your soul. God's at work. And the scripture says to repent and believe, to confess your sin to God, to turn from it and trust your life to Jesus, to believe into Him and be saved. I pray it be so. No greater gift, no greater moment of life change than salvation in Christ. If this is you, will you reach out? Will you share with us today what God's done in your life? Church, I can ask you, is Jesus your cornerstone? Your footing, your grounding, your purpose, your identity, your way? The thing in which you are utterly dependent on. That without Christ you have nothing. And in Christ you have everything. You really need to slow and consider whether or not your answer to this question today is your trained religious proclamation. Or is it truly who you are and what you believe into Who we are, church, and what we're building together won't work unless Jesus is truly the cornerstone. The one in whom we are utterly dependent, in whom we are united, and for whom we live. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ alone is the cornerstone. 
In Him we trust, and to Him be the glory today and every day and forevermore. Pray with me. Father, we humble ourselves before You. Holy God, worthy to be praised. God, You are do all that, that, that we are. All that we have exists and, and it's given and it's entrusted to us for You. For Your glory. Thank You for grace. Thank You for new birth. Adoption. Thank you that in Christ we're no longer lost at sea, but standing on the rock. God, fix our feet in Christ. Show us the ways in which we have moved away from that foundation. And, and grabbed hold of identity or value or, or, or satisfaction in, in something else. Help us to see that so we can confess it, so we can draw other brothers and sisters around us for accountability, so we can begin to make a way of putting our feet back on Christ alone for your glory for the good of those that are watching us, the testimony that it includes, the purpose of our days. Hear us as we worship you, exalt the living God, the the victorious Christ, the cornerstone. We love you. We thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.